Good morning, everyone. Right, my name's Gaz, uh, as Dan said, and um, and yeah, for those of you that have been here before, I'm I'm normally stood behind a guitar, um, which makes me infinitely more comfortable, <laughs> if I'm honest. So uh, this is a first for me. Um, I think um, Dan approached me about a few months ago and says, "Would you ever fancy preaching?" Um, and I think my initial response was no. Uh, <laughs> and um, and then and then Dan says, he says, "Well, what about um, if you were to teach on worship?" And I think he knew that I couldn't really turn that down. So, so, so um, I just hope Dan's not on the end of the end of the phone when I try and cancel my next phone contract. Um, but um, yeah, my name's Gaz. I, um, I I spend my my life. I work as a, a graphic designer for a magazine called S40 at the moment, which some of you might have heard of. Um, I'm also just finished my second year uh, studying theology up at Cliff College. Um, prior to all that, I, I worked for a few years at um, St. Thomas's uh, down the road in Chesterfield, uh, kind of overseeing the music, musical worship teams and, and youth stuff. Um, so, um, but if, I think if you were to cut me open down the middle, um, worship and particularly kind of worship through music is, is kind of where my heart lies, hence... Um, Dan knew, Dan knew he'd cornered me. Um, <laughs> no, but it is a privilege to stand here. Um, worship, what is worship? Um, it's a massive question, and um, it's one that I'm not going to answer fully in any way this morning, so I'm not going to try to. Um, so I, I want to speak on a few um, aspects of worship. Um, so first of all, I, I want to read a passage from uh, Psalm 96. Just get, get that. Psalms are a great place to come for, uh, for inspiration, actually. That, you know, it's a, it's a book of... Um, of worship songs and, and laments and prayers and, and it's just an amazing, uh, amazing place to find uh, to find worship to God. So here we go, Psalm ninety six. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods, for all gods of the of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him. All the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is within it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. I think that paints just such a great picture of, um, of how we should come to our worship to God. Um, I want to pick a few things out of that. Um, the first of those is that worship is our response to God. Um, there's a, a couple of quotes. Oh, here we go. It's, it's before me. Um, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is, what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Okay, and there's another one. Worship, oh, here we go. Worship is the believer's response to all they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to what God says and does. Now, these are great, but they're very Christian. 
what what I think is important to realize to start with is worship is not something that is unique to the church. It never has been. As as human beings, we are we are designed to worship. Um, and uh, you know, here it says it speaks about these false gods. It's very rare nowadays that we actually speak about false gods and idols and stuff. But it is such a vital thing to realize that that people outside the church, non-believers, are no less worshippers than we are. And if you don't feel like you're worshiping God, then I would say that you're probably worshiping something. I think I would I would go as far as saying that every human being is. Um, you know, throughout the Bible, there's um, there's dozens of um, of gods that are mentioned, false gods. There's um, I'll, I'll read a few out for you. I, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I don't know how to pronounce most of these, but here we go. Um, Adramalek, the sun god. Amon, the sun god. Anamalek, the moon goddess. Asherah, the fertility god. A- Ashima, Ashtoreth, Baal, Beelzebub, um, Shamosh, Dawan. There's one called Diana, apparently. I don't know if the royal family read that before, um, but probably not. Um, Gad, um, Kalwan. The list goes on. There's, so, there's all these gods that we don't hear about nowadays. You know, you, how, when was the last time you, you spoke to someone at work that says, oh, I'm, I'm just off to, to worship Baal this weekend? You know, it doesn't happen. But that doesn't mean that people worship idols any less. You know, that... Um, They've just been substituted for things subtler. And in a way, things that actually maybe make it more difficult for us to get across the idea of worshipping God because people don't recognise that they spend their lives in worship to things. What You know, it's going to be different people. Is it cars? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it your iPhone? Is it Facebook? Is it status, fame or fashion? They're all things that people... Um, worship, including ourselves. I don't think we're exempt from this, which I'm going to mention in a bit. Um, so I've, I found a, a quote by a chap called Harold Best, which isn't the Labour chap who, who I found when I Googled him. Um, he's, a th- he's a theologian. Um, but it, worship is the sign that in giving myself completely to someone or something, I want to be mastered by it. So this is, worship is a sign that in giving myself completely to someone or something, I want to be mastered by it. That is what we do when we worship. We we give ourselves so much to something that we say, I want that to rule my life. So if we go back to those other quotes, is that what we're doing? Do we want Jesus to rule our lives? When you think about the things that other people worship, the things that the, all the things that we worship of that list I've just read out, that is quite a um, an uncomfortable thought. I think you know that that. Worship is the sign in giving myself completely to someone or something. I want to be mastered by it. You're saying with with what you do, what you want to be mastered by. When I was trying to prepare for this, I think um, God God put two words in my mind, and that was undivided worship. Um, and it took me a while to kind of mull it over, and, and it hadn't really been something I thought about before. And um, But it kind of made me realize that our challenge isn't, how we worship or, uh, or or what we do to worship, but the challenge is who we worship. Um, and actually, God is all deserving of our undivided worship. Um, another word it put in my mind was continuous worship, because worship isn't something that we do that God... You know, nowhere in Psalms does it say, uh, does David talk about worshipping God for two hours on a Sunday? You know, it's it's his life. He responds to the things he see, and and actually, and that means a continuous, everyday choice and um, making it. Like One Corinthians six says this: or Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Worship's not about trying too hard to impress God with the, with the things that we might think impress other people. Of course we want to give God the best, which is why painters paint extravagant paintings and, and builders build architecture that makes us just stand in awe. But the essence of worship is that God deserves our full everyday attention from the first breath in the morning to the last breath at night. You might be you might be kind of thinking, okay, that's great. That's you know, that's that's great, but I'm not inspired to worship. How do I how do I how do you do that every day? And and I think from what I from what I get from a lot of these psalms is that um, that David and, and and well the whole the whole scriptures pe- people are looking for God, and the key is we we've got to look for God in everything. Um, there's a well-known worship leader, Matt Redman, uh, who sings a few of his songs. He says says this: When we face up to the glory of God, we find ourselves face down. I think that is um, the essence of worship. You know, we went to, I had the privilege last year, we went to Swaziland with um, Samaritan's Purse with um, Katie, Sam and a few others. And, um, you know, we visited various um, projects. And, and I don't know if you've ever been on any of these mission trips, but, um, but you, you often end up, you, you, you're generally in a minibus um, and you get paraded around. Uh, they want to kind of show, show off as many of their communities and projects as possible. Um, so you often, and you know, you've often had a couple of hours drive on a pretty bad road, and you know, whatever. And so we arrived. I remember we, we arrived in this one place, and you, you kind of feeling a bit grotty, to be honest. You kind of like, you know, you're just waking up. And I always get a bit nervous actually when we arrive because it's. I kind of always think, you know, do they really want us to be here? You know, they they're living their lives here. Do they really want outsiders to come in and and you know see what they're doing or whatever? Um, and. And so anyway, so we arrived at this one place and we, we got out. We, we, we'd, got, we'd gone um, on this particular occasion to build a, a mud hut for a lady who, well, well I say to build, to help build. <laughs> uh, we definitely didn't build it. Build it. Um, but to build this little mud hut for which would be this lady's house. Her house was destroyed in the storm. And, um, and yeah, we got out with a bit, a bit of fear, a bit, um, you know, feeling a bit, um, you know, a bit nervous. Um, and we stood around rather awkwardly in this circle, kind of, kind of waiting to be introduced, really. And then this chap just started singing, and he started singing and worshiping, and he started moving, and and we all kind of tried to join in again, a bit awkwardly. It wasn't, you know, I'm, it didn't sound like the angels in heaven. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but the, the, what I took away from that is that he his first response was not to thank us for going there. His response was to thank God that we that we'd gone there. And sometimes we we we're so intent on looking for things on earth we're looking to thank each other we're looking for thanks ourselves that actually we forget to thank God first um you know the bible is full of times where where people see something of God's glory and respond um I want to read a, a bit of a passage from Revelation actually um don't worry Dan it's not uh, in the air, yeah, don't worry. I had a joke with Dan earlier but no I'll tell you after I, I don't want to give away the next part um <laughs> This is Revelation 1. This is John speaking. I turned around to see, a, see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes were blazing like fire. 
His feet were like, blonde, were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of, the, out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. John faced up to the glory of God and fell face down. The second thing that I think is essential as Christians that, that goes on from this is that we never lose the wonder of God. You know, when, when we speak about these other idols like cars and money, whatever, the reason that people worship them, the reason that we worship them is because we don't lose the wonder, because we, we spend our lives trying to find out more. You know, if, if you're a... Uh, I don't know, if you, if you like gadgets or whatever, like phones or whatever, you know, you're waiting to see the next phone that comes out. You've, you've got that expectation, that wonder. But how great should the wonder be of God? And, and it's something that, it, you know, it, it, it's easy to do on a Sunday morning or it's easy to do when you go to a big festival or something. But it's not something that's easy to do on a Tuesday afternoon when you're sat in work having a bit of a rough day. But it's something that it's, a, it's, it's up to us to look for God. It's up to us... To, to ensure that we don't lose that wonder. Um, you know, and, and in life nowadays, nothing wonder, nothing it has wonder to it. Do it. Look, look at this. If I press 11 bu buttons on this, I can ring anyone the other side of the world. I could ring someone in Fiji or Australia with this, and the buttons I'm pressing aren't even there. It's a glass screen. That's how much... We have lost the wonder of, of the world. You know, if you when you go um, when you go visiting a great landmark, whatever, or a great landscape, do you stand there in awe at God's creation? I'll tell you what some people do. <laughs> yeah, for the next one. This is what we do, isn't it? We turn our backs from it and we take a selfie because we're more important. Than God's glory. Okay, I know that's not a natural thing. You know what I mean. You get the picture. <laughs> it's ourselves have become far more important than anything like this. So I challenge you: next time you go to Kerber Edge or you go somewhere like that, keep your phone in your pocket and praise God for what He's created. You know. So I just want to. I want to finish. Um, uh, well, not quite yet, but don't <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to fill you with the false sense of hope, do I? But <laughs> no, no. I want to finish. Sometimes it, it's difficult to grasp um, the greatness of God. So I, I do want to finish with a bit of a um, a bit of a uh, an illustration, if that's okay with you. I've got um, a prop. I thought I'd keep in um, in theme with Wimbledon this week, even though Andy Murray's gone out. It is still on today. Um, this is a tennis ball. I want you to imagine that the earth is the size of this tennis ball, okay? So just at the uh, face of this, um, I don't know what animal that is actually, but anyway, just the face of that animal <laughs> is us, okay? Can you imagine that? Okay, I want a couple of volunteers. D the, white, the white siblings, come on. 
Beth, can you stand on that um, red tape there? Joe, do you want to come and stand over here? That red tape. If the Earth is a tennis ball, now before I should say this before, I'm not a scientist by any stretch of imagination. These might not be 100% accurate to scale, but um, but I've done my best. I've done some good maths here, I think. If the Earth is a tennis ball, this is the size of the Sun. That's and and oh and when I say the size of the Sun, that's the radius of the Sun. That's quite difficult to imagine, isn't it? That's huge. That's nothing. Actually, just while we're here, if anyone doesn't like science but likes sports, just, just uh, step back a bit, Joe. Go on, that one there. That's the world record for the long jump. <laughs> Seriously, that's, that's quite... That, that in itself... Yeah, yeah, Dan could do that before his knees went bad, actually. <laughs> cool, thanks, guys. You want to sit down? Okay, that's the size of, that's the, size of the sun. Now, that's, that's impressive, okay. But then we think about how far the sun is away from us. Um, and to use that, I thought we'd use Britain's favourite um, building. Speaking of architecture, here we go, the gherkin. Um, if the earth is a tennis ball, and you were to put it, you were to just put it in, in the middle of a, a pe two paving slabs at the bottom of the gherkin, it would take you four gherkins to reach the sun. If the Earth is a tennis ball. Okay. Now you, you'll be very well aware that the Sun is by no means the biggest star in the planet. There's a, there's a star that I've learned about this week actually called Betelgeuse. I don't know if that pronunciation is right, but it can't be as bad as my ones earlier of the gods. Um, just get, make sure I get my figures right here. Betelgeuse is a star. 642.5 light years away. If the Earth was a tennis ball, that would be 23,309,257 miles away. Or you, if, if, so if you wanted to go on holiday, pack up your bags to go to Betelgeuse for the six-week holidays, you would travel around the Earth, if the Earth was a tennis ball, you would travel around the real size Earth 936 times or go, or go from Chesterfield to London 155,000 times. Betelgeuse is 28 gherkins if the Earth is a tennis ball. You couldn't even, you couldn't even put with a, with, a, with a biro that tennis ball on the bottom of that, that bottom gherkin. That's nothing though. This number here. I don't even, is, anyone, is anyone good at masks? Does anyone know what that number is? Because I don't know what that number is. No, it's a very big number. And it, yeah, they didn't teach us that in maths. Um, <laughs> we didn't go that far. That is the amount of times the Earth can fit into Betelgeuse. That is a lot of times. If the Earth were a tennis ball, that's enough time, that's enough to fill centre court at Wimbledon to the brim with tennis balls of the Earth seven million times. And we're right there. 
Betelgeuse is the ninth biggest star that's been found. There are eight stars bigger than Betelgeuse. The biggest co is called the, the Canis Majoris, Canis Majoris, something like that, which is 81 gherkins. Now, you, there is some gherkins on the screen there, but you can't see them because they're that small. Never lose the wonder. Do you know what, though? Any scientist in here will tell you that at some point, Betelgeuse and all these other stars are going to explode. It's not going to be for a while, I hope, and we won't even find out for, about it until millions and millions of years down the line. But these planets that are as awesome as that are just as fleeting and just as momentary as you and I. It might be unimaginable and indescribable, but it bears no greatness compared to our God. And if this isn't enough, when we lay down before our God in awe, we worship a God that responds to us. John sees this incredible visual in Revelation. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John faced up to the glory of God and fell face down. You know, in that moment, that's enough. John's seen everything. John's seen the glory of Jesus. John's seen more than we could ever imagine. That is enough. Yet Jesus puts his hand on him and says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. When we truly recognize God's greatness and lay our lives before him, he responds and he'll say to us, do not be afraid, for I am with you from beginning to end. This is why we worship. This is, you know, this is why we sing. And, and particularly, this is why we spend so much time in singing, because we recognize that it's about seeing God's glory. It's about responding to God's glory. But it's about giving God time to speak to us, because we know that we're in the presence of such an unbelievable, amazing God.